We are joined here today by Pastor Kenny Hart. He is the pastor of evangelism and community at Christ Crucified Fellowship in Washington Heights. Our lead pastor, James Roberson, is taking this month as a sabbatical to get away and hear from the Lord. So this month we'll be joined by guest preachers. Kenny, preaching from the book of Habakkuk, a journey from doubt to faith. Ready for you, brother? Good afternoon, Bridge family. All right, now. Let me open this up in prayer and let's get into this text. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this day. Lord, this is a day that you have made. And God, we pray that today, as your word says, we will enjoy the new mercies that you give. God, I pray that we exhaust today's mercies. God, there are no rollover mercies. There are only new mercies. And so, God, I pray that today we will be content with exhausting the mercies of now. Father God, I know that this is a weighty subject. Um, This is a heavy burden to carry. I feel like Habakkuk as I am tasked with the responsibility of preaching this message. And God, I know that in order for your people to truly come to a place of honesty before you, to a place of brokenness before you, to a place of contentment in who they are in Christ, I know that I have to get out the way. So God, I am dust. Get this man out the way. And I pray that today, God, your people will see you. I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable, O oh God, in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. All who agree with that said. Amen. 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 Well, it's great to be with you, Bridge. How y'all doing, family? <laughs> Listen, it's a huge honor to be here. Uh, my name is Kenny. I'm one of the pastors at Christ Crucified Fellowship Uptown. And listen, right? This is, I want to get this out there. I listen to the podcasts. So y- y'all like to talk back here. So y'all got to talk to me, all right? I love that. I-, I feed off of that emotion. So talk to your boy, all right? Um, also, I just want to get this other thing out the way. I'm not a visitor. Right? I don't consider myself a visitor. I'm, I consider myself more like that crazy cousin. You know, that, that crazy cousin that comes over every now and then. You see them that often, so when they come, they you pick right up and they go off. Yeah, that's me. So, um, like I said, man, I'm so honored to be with you guys. And when Pastor James asked myself and Pastor Rich to come share a word with God, you know, so many things went through our minds about what we could share. And so we automatically thought about our church, and we thought about the things that are blessing our community right now. And we just, as a church, came out of a six-week series on the book of Habakkuk. And in that series, we saw God do some amazing things in our community. We saw people get real with God. We saw people leave behind the veneers right, of religion. We saw people see that, that, that religion and, and, and moralism is a heavier burden to carry than honesty and, and resting in the finished work of Jesus. And so... Um, we want to take these next two weeks, myself and Pastor Rich, to share some of what we took away from Habakkuk. Now, it's only a two-week series, so I'm going to have to fly over the text. So just, you know, have, have some grace with your boy. You know, i got to fly over the text a little bit. What I want to do with y'all is I want to park in certain places, and I want us to really examine what this could mean for us. So today's title of, uh, today's title, the title of today's message is The Healthy Dynamic of Spiritual Change. The healthy dynamics of spiritual change. Because what Habakkuk offers us is a wrestle with God that that we can come out of and actually change. 
And so, I want us to see this today. And the reality is this. Some of y'all are sitting here asking yourselves, who's a backing? <laughs> Come on now. Let's keep it all the way real. I remember in our church when I was preaching this, when we decided to do a book on a sermon series on backing, some guy was like, one of the dudes was like, yo, dog, who's a backing? I'm like, yo, we got to do a Bible in the airplane, man. But, but if you ask yourself that question, it's cool. It's cool. Not many of us know our boy Habakkuk, but we should. So because we don't know Habakkuk that well, let, 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 let me tell you what we know about Habakkuk. Historically, we know that Habakkuk was a prophet. We don't know where Habakkuk was from. We don't know uh, 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 what Habakkuk did before he was a prophet. In fact, the Bible doesn't even mention his call. You know, in every prophetic book, we get the call of the prophet. We don't get a call for Habakkuk. We just get the message. And that tells us something about Habakkuk. That tells us that when it comes to the things of God, the message is always more important than the messenger. I hope you heard that, family. When it comes to the things of God, the message is always more important than the messenger. But we know Habakkuk was a musician of some type. We know that because chapter 3 ends with a song. Chapter 3 ends with Habakkuk writing a worship song to God. Now, we also know what's going on in the world at the time. There were three main superpowers. One was Assyria. They were on a decline. The other was Egypt. They were on a decline. And the last is um, Babylon, and they were on the rise. And Israel is just this little, tiny, insignificant nation sandwiched in the middle. So think of it like this. Babylon is L uh, New York. Assyria is L.A. And we're not going to debate who's more influential New York or L.A. New York. <laughs> All right, y'all already know. And Egypt is Chicago, and Babylon's Vermont. I mean, I mean, I mean, Israel's Vermont. Israel's Vermont. Vermont. Now, nothing against Vermont. If you're from Vermont, God bless you. You know, I love Vermont. I'm sure it's a beautiful place. But come on, we all move to Vermont right now. We would change all their zoning laws, right? So, so, so let's, let's let's be real right now. All right. And so Habakkuk is an insignificant prophet. Hear this, family. From an insignificant nation with a very significant message. And if you're taking notes, you can write this. His name actually means to embrace and to wrestle. To embrace and to wrestle. And that's actually the two main movements of this book. What you guys are going to see in this book is that Habakkuk begins wrestling with the problem of evil. How can a good God allow so much evil and suffering in the world? That's the question he's asking. But he ends the book embracing the fact that God's justice is greater than man's justice. Can I get amen there? All right now. Habakkuk begins this book questioning God's justice, but he ends this book pleading with God for mercy. He literally goes from problems to praise, from doubts to faith, and from wrestling to surrender. But what I don't want us to miss is the process that it took for him to get there. Because if Hosea was the prophet with a prostitute, Habakkuk is the prophet with a problem. So this book is one big wrestling match between God and his prophet. Are y'all ready to wrestle with God? All right, well my prayer is that coming out of this series, Many of us will start getting honest with God. That, that's really the one, the one hope I have for this series. The one hope I have for Bridge Church is out of this series, we will leave behind the religion of religion. That, 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 that out of this series, we will leave behind our social media selves. Oh, yeah, I know the social media you now. All right, all right, it's me and my booski. All right, on my, way to the on my way to work. Now, taking selfies on the way to work, knowing that you hate your job. Right? Hate your job. You just almost cursed somebody out on the train, right? 
But, but we put up this veneer, this public image of ourselves, this manufactured person. Habakkuk doesn't have time for that. So the three things I want us to see is this. Healthy spiritual wrestle means being honest with God. Secondly, healthy spiritual wrestle means being ready to listen. And third, healthy spiritual wrestle means being willing to change. So first, healthy spiritual wrestle means being honest with God. Now I love verse 1 because like I said, Habakkuk has no beginning or no end. We don't know who this guy is. He just pops on the scene, and the Bible says nothing about the man, but everything about the message. And look at what verse 1 says. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Now what's interesting about the word oracle used here, in the Hebrew, is actually the word burden. It's the Hebrew word Masah. It looks like Nasa, but it's Masah. And before we go any further, what I think we can identify with Habakkuk right away is the fact that following God in this world often is a heavy burden, isn't it, family? I think we have many similarities with Habakkuk because we often feel the weight of what it means to be a Christian in our world. I mean, we all have burdens to carry, don't we? We have burdens, don't we, family? But how do we usually try to get rid of those burdens in superficial ways? Let's be real, remember, this is going to be a real series now. What do we say? Let me change churches. Ouch. Amen, ouch. Let me change relationships. Let me change careers. But see, those are just symptoms of a much larger problem, family. Much larger problem. And the larger problem is this. When God gives us burdens, what do we do with them? Well, Habakkuk gives us the answer. We get honest. We get honest with God. We get honest with others. I love that Habakkuk doesn't just do the religious thing here. Right? Think about this. He's a prophet. He knows religion better than anybody else. He could have just done the religious thing. He could have just stuffed his emotions. He could have just hide it behind the fact that, hey, I'm, I'm, I, my call is to preach the Bible and to teach the Bible, and that's what I'm going to do. But instead, he asked questions. He wrestled with his God. And many of us have grown up in churches where the concept of being honest with God was all but non-existent. Amen? How many of us grew up in churches like that? Even thinking about being disappointed with God was a shocker, right? You might get kicked out of church for that. Let me, let me ask this question for, some, for those of us who got quiet. How many of us have felt like at one time or another we've let God down? How many of us have felt like that? I thought we're going to kill that noise today. We're going to kill that noise. You can't let God down. It's impossible. It's impossible for anybody in this room to let God down. You know why? Because you never held God up. You can't let God down. You've never held God up. And here's the, the statement I feel like I let God down means. It's really a statement of pride. It's not a statement of humility, family. Because that's guilt and that's religion talking. That's not conviction and repentance. Guilt and religion says, I let God down. God is going to give me. But as Christians, we grieve sin not because we let God down, but because we broke God's heart. See, sin is a thing that we grieve and mourn over because... Before there was a law, there was love. Because before there was a law, there was a relationship. You know, the Bible begins in the garden, right? It doesn't begin with a law. The Bible begins in the garden, and in that garden, guess what was present? Perfect relationship between God and his creation. And when Adam and Eve decided to rebel against the God who made them, do you know what they were really doing? Yes, they were breaking a law. Amen. But they were more so breaking a relationship. They broke a heart. 
They broke God's heart. And listen, some of us forget the fact that Jesus knows we're a hot mess. <laughs> All right now? Like, like, like some of us forget the fact that Jesus knows we're we trifling. I'm trifling, y'all. I am, apart from Christ, I am a wretch. I am the chief of sinners. I am a, I am a, I'm nothing of a man. But in Christ, man, God can use me to move mountains. But understand this, family. God knows you are a hot mess. He knew you were going to be a hot mess before he saved you. Paul says this in Romans 5, 8. God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know what that text is saying? Basically, it's saying this. Before you can become the Christian you, Jesus died for the ratchet you. Okay? Before you could clean yourself up, Jesus died for the mess that you were. That's the gospel, family. And what I... Man. Amen. I think what ultimately we're saying is when we're not honest with God, we're ultimately saying this. God, I don't want a relationship with you. Because when we don't share with God where we're really at, it's not just improper, it's not just wrong, it's insulting. You're insulting the intelligence of the God of the universe. You're insulting the comprehensive majesty of God. You're insulting the majestic and omniscient one. You're insulting the one who knows the end from the beginning. You're insulting the one who, who laid the earth on nothing, who knew you before the foundation of the world. It, it's not improper, it's insulting, family. But the reason why we don't get honest with God is because we feel what others think of us. We fear how people will perceive us, don't we? But family, the Bible calls the fear of man a trap in the sand for a reason. We know that, right? Listen, living your life controlled by other people's opinion of you will not only choke the joy out of you, but it'll kill your relationship with God. It'll choke the joy out of your relationship with God. Because Jesus says your life is only big enough for one master. Your life is only big enough for one person to rule it. Your life is only big enough for one, for one person to be called Lord. And it's either going to be man or God. But Ed Welch, a Christian philosopher, a Christian psychotherapist, he breaks it down this way. He says this. He says, we spend too much time wondering what others may have thought about our outfit or the comment that we made in the small group meeting. He says, we see opportunities to testify about Christ, but we avoid them. He says, why? Because we are more concerned about looking stupid or fear of people than we are about acting simply or fear of the Lord. Amen. Ouch. See, ultimately, a fear of man will look like this. I'm more concerned with looking stupid than I am looking simple. Because in other words, right, when, 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 when the choice between righteousness and sin presents itself, if I'm more afraid of man than I am of God, what will I do in that moment? I will choose not looking stupid versus actually looking simple. And I think Habakkuk has a, has a word for us because of that. See, what I love about Habakkuk is he's a disappointed prophet. He's a disappointed prophet. And I love how he gets blunt and honest with God. And he does it not out of disillusionment, family. I mean, he does it not out of disrespect. He does it out of disillusionment. And look at what he says. In verse 2, he says, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? 
Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before you. Strike the contention of eyes. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. See, it looks like the goodness of God is being questioned here, but it's not the goodness of God that he's questioning. He's questioning the purposes of God. He's saying, God, I know you're good. I'm a prophet. I know you're good. It's not that I don't think you're good. It's that I don't see how you're good in this. The law is paralyzed. The, right, the, the righteous suffer, the wicked prosper. The strong are eating the weak. It's not that I doubt that you're good. It's that I can't see your goodness in this moment. And see, family, that's something totally different. And what I love about this is, listen, you know what it means? It means that atheists aren't the first people to ask God why. Y'all hear that? Atheists or non-believers are not the first people to say, God, where are you in evil and suffering? In fact, the Bible is littered, littered with people who ask God why. Where are you? What are you doing in this, God, in evil and suffering? Because it's human. And God wants a real relationship with us. He doesn't want a religious relationship with us. See, I said in the beginning, we can't let God down. But guess what? God can let us down. Because God actually does carry us. God actually is the one that sustains us. God actually is the one that upholds us. He upholds the entire universe with the word of his power, Hebrew says. And so if that's true of God, do you know what that means? That means God can disappoint you. I guess I'm the only person that would be disappointed today, huh? <laughs> God can disappoint you, family. See, if that's you today, if you're feeling like God let you down, if you're feeling like, man, something happened to me in my past and I can't see how God is good in this, then be encouraged today. Because disappointment is evidence that a relationship is real. <laughs> disappointment is evidence that a relationship is real. When you got on a train today, or when you go to work, were you disappointed in the person that cut in front of you to get that seat? You might, you might, you, I think you were more so disrespected and ready to get disrespectful, right? I don't, I don't know if you were disappointed the way you would be if that was a friend who cut you off and took that seat. In other words, there's something about intimacy there's something about relationship. There's something about knowing somebody that when they do something that we don't expect, when they do something that we're not calculating, when they let us down, it actually hurts. When other people let us down, it actually makes us angry and we can hide behind that anger. But when someone we love lets us down, it actually hurts. Martin Luther King Jr. says it this way. There can be no deep disappointment where there is not deep love. There can be no deep disappointment when there is not deep love. You know why Habakkuk is so deeply disappointed? Because he deeply loves God. That's why. That's why. You know, you, you know when you know today whether you know you love God or not? When, when, when God lets you down and, and, and you leave God, you really deeply in love with God. When God lets you down and you stay and ask why and you wrestle with your maker, man, that's love right there. Because disappointment says this, I'm committed, but I'm confused. That's what disappointment says. I'm committed, but I'm confused. I expected this from you, but instead I got that. Help me understand why you gave me this instead of that. But disappointment doesn't say, 
I'm confused, that's why I won't commit. That's not disappointment. That's not. And that's not what Habakkuk says. And listen, in any love relationship, in any love relationship, it's inevitable. That lover is going to let you down. Oh, see, some of y'all looking at me crazy. Some of y'all are like, uh-uh, not my boosty. My boosty is not going to let me down. All right? He loves me. Listen, take my pastoral counsel. The boosty will let you down. All right? The boosty is going to let you down. But see, it's different when God disappoints us. God doesn't disappoint us the way people disappoint us. Because when God disappoints us, it's not because he failed to meet our expectations. It's because we failed to meet his. Let me say that again. When God disappoints us, it's not because he failed to meet our expectations. It's because we failed to meet his. See, God disappoints us usually because we wanted something or someone more than him. You know, you know when God disappoints us? When he doesn't worship our idols. Mm-hmm. That's when God disappoints us. See, see, God doesn't disappoint us. God doesn't disappoint us because he didn't meet our expectations. He disappoints us because we didn't want him first. All right, now I got to move. I say that all day. Listen, if, if your disappointment is deep today, then rest of the fact that God's loving people. And he's big enough to say, I know what you want. I've heard all your prayers. I've heard all your complaints and your frustrations. But guess what? He's loving enough at the same time He's loving enough at the same time to say, but I'm going to give you what you need instead. He's big enough to say, I know exactly what you want. But he's loving enough to say, but I'm only going to give you what you need. Because I love you more than I love making you happy. Amen to that. But this is the first step to, 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 to spiritual wrestling. This is the first step to healthy spiritual wrestling. Leaving the filters from Instagram. Mm-hmm. Leave the filters from Instagram, family. What God wants is your unfiltered heart. What God wants before his people is your unfiltered heart. But I gotta move. This leads me to my second point. Healthy spiritual wrestling means being ready to listen. Now Habakkuk teaches us something profound here, y'all. Because rather than letting disappointment, disappointment drive him away from God, he actually lets it drive him into God. He allowed disappointment to drive him deeper into his relationship with God. He, he asked God questions, and then, guess what? He expects God to say something back. When's the last time we prayed and expected God to say something back? When's the last time we read our word expecting to hear a word from the Lord? See, what it is is we've gotten accustomed to monologues with God. We've gotten accustomed to speaking to God, to saying, God, okay, Lord, here's what I need. Need a new job, kind of lonely, need a relationship. Family's kind of bugging out, I need you to fix that a little bit, but I'm crazy, right? In other words, we just go through our list and our prayers with God quickly become prayers to ourselves and prayers about ourselves because it's a monologue. That's not prayer. Prayer is a dialogue. Prayer is stopping yourself and saying, okay, God, enough about me. Let's say, what about you? Prayer is stopping yourself and saying, God, how can I serve you better today? Prayer is stopping yourself and saying, God, okay, I'll go into my list, but God, what's your list? Okay, God, I know that ultimately at the end, the pen is in your hands, not mine. In the end, I don't write my life, you do. So what do you want me to do, God? That's the prayer that heals us. That's what true prayer is. 
But listen, I gotta move it, I can talk a little bit. But this is the second dynamic of healthy spiritual wrestling. You ready? After we, we get, after we get honest with God, we wait for God's answer. After we get honest with God, we wait for God's answer. See, what does God say to his complaining prophet? Well, what does God say to his committed but confused prophet? Well, here's what he says. <laughs> He's not, he, says, he doesn't say what he's going back and thought he was going to say. He says this. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing the work in your days that you wouldn't believe if I told you. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle to swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand, at kings they stomp. And the rulers, and our rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. They sweep, then they sweep by like a wind and go on. Guilty men whose might is their own God. Family, God's answer is just as provocative as Habakkuk's question. Now think about this for a second. Habakkuk is looking at Israel. He's looking at the injustice in the land and he's a prophet. He's a prophet who loves God, but he also loves his people. Amen? Yeah. Don't we love God and love our people? Amen? So he loves his people. He sees the injustice in his land, and I'm going to tell you what he's not asking for. Y'all want to know what Habakkuk's not asking for? Judgment. That's not what Habakkuk wants. Habakkuk wants revival. Habakkuk wants God to do a new work in Israel. Habakkuk wants God to lead the nation to repentance. Habakkuk wants God to, to, to turn the dark hearts to light. But God looks at Habakkuk and says, mm-mm, mm-mm, Father. Try that. We went through a Bible route. You remember? You remember that? You remember Moses? <laughs> remember David? Remember Isaiah? I sent you prophets. I sent you wise men. I sent you a Bible. And guess what? You still sin. You still worship the idols. You still want to think other than me. In other words, you don't need revival. You need judgment. And God basically says this to Habakkuk. The only way to resurrect the stiff-necked people is to first crucify them. The only way to resurrect the stiff-necked people is to first crucify them. Now, family, what God does here is so profound for us, and I pray, I pray that we get this today, because what he does, this is the key, this is the, this is the turning point in spiritual wrestle. This is where your wrestle becomes embraced. You ready? You ready for this? God points Habakkuk upward. God points Habakkuk out of his circumstance, out of his situation, out of his mess, out of his bubble, out of his claustrophobic kingdom, upward. He says, look and be astounded at the work I'm doing in the world. Look at what I'm doing, God says. See, we often bring our problems to God and say this, God, why are you so silent? But God responds to you today and says this, I'm not silent, you just stop listening. I'm not quiet. You're not listening. Look at the world and be astounded. You know what it is? All you've been listening to is that grumble. That grumble in your spirit. Every day when you wake up, 
and everything bothers you. That's all you hear. You don't hear me. You know what you see? The burden that you have. Her, the burden, the burden her back of the prophet saw. That's what you see. The burden. You don't see the blessing. You don't see the God behind it. You, you haven't looked upward. Your, your view is too small. And, and the family, listen, listen, family. Listen, family. Ultimately, what God gives her back is this. God says the antidote to our spiritual wrestle is this. You know what you need? You don't need an explanation. You need revelation. You don't need me to explain to you why I'm doing what I'm doing. You need to see me afresh. You, you know what you need? You need a fresh view of me. You need to see my glory. You need to see my majesty. You need to see how, how I just come in and flex like that on Babylon. Like You, you need to see how, how they're the most ruthless people in the world, and yet how I'm going to raise them up. He says at one point, I, ro I rose up the bucket, he's going to be my instrument, and then I'm going to bring them down. Like You need to see how, how I am behind the scenes of the world, pulling the strings, I'm the one. I'm the one that you look to and be astounded by. I'm the one that you look up to and be amazed by. Not your circumstances, not yourself, not what you're going through. Me. That's what God is saying. Do it back to the prophet. See, what we really need in the midst of our complaining is a fresh view of God. That's what we need, family. G.K. Chesterton, one of my heroes, says it this way. How much larger would your life be if yourself could become smaller than How much larger would your life be today if yourself could become smaller than See, the Bible says there's one simple truth. Our lives are happiest when we're smallest. We were made to worship. Our lives are happiest when we're smallest. We were made to worship, and guess what? Our lives are happiest when we're not performing it. Our lives are happiest when something bigger than us is the point of it. All of us have tried to self-worship out. All of us have tried it. Has it worked? Where's it gotten you? We were made to worship something bigger than ourselves. And our lives are happiest when we're smallest. Here's a little truth about spiritual wrestling family. God knows that ultimately what we need is not facts for friendship. I love what Jesus does in John 15. If you look at the context, in John 14, Jesus, he, he's answering his questioning disciples. His disciples are like a They're asking God questions. And, 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 and one disciple, Philip, Jesus said, I'm going to the Father's house, and I will prepare a place for you. And, 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 and Thomas asked the question, Lord, where, where are you going? Where's the way? And then he says, Thomas, you don't know that I am the way, I am the truth, I am the light? And then right after that, Philip says, he said, uh, Jesus said, uh, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. And then Jesus says, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then Jesus in the next chapter says to his disciples who have all these questions, he says this, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. See, Jesus answered our questions with intimacy. He answers our hardship for friendship. And even though sometimes he'll disappoint you, he only does it to bring you to something bigger. Bigger than whatever you're worshiping at the moment. Himself. See, living in light of the bigness of God will make our complaints seem trivial. They actually decrease. Do you know that simply changing your perspective actually changes your view of the world? Do y'all know that today, family? Think about it this way. On the ground, 
When you look at buildings, there's a variation in height, isn't there? Some are big, some are small, some are even, right? You, you can see the difference. When you look at the buildings, those same buildings from the air, they all look the same. They're all the same height. How many of us have been on an airplane and you get high enough? And when you get high enough, even skyscrapers look like houses. They all look the same. You know what that means? That means that when we elevate our perspective, when we elevate our perspective, we realize that all of our problems from God's point of view is the same. See, what, what, what I hope we see today is God is more concerned with fixing your perspective than fixing your problems. Amen. God is more concerned with fixing your perspective than fixing your problems. But, understand this. Because all of our problems look the same to God, he ain't never sweating. You, know, you, you, you remember, even when he was on earth, he wasn't sweating, right? Y'all remember Jesus in the boat? Knocked out. Storm coming, boat about the same. Jesus knocked out children. Jesus knows about him. Do you? Why are you so stressed? Why are you so burdened? Why are you so anxious? Don't you know about you? I gotta know. Listen. God's concern in our spiritual wrestle is fixing our perspective, not fixing our problems. Because he knows that our lives are happiest if we can just become a little bit smaller. This is my third and final point, and I'm out of your way. How do we get smaller? How do we get smaller in the view of God? And our wrestle with God. Here's our Healthy spiritual wrestling is being willing to change. So remember, we just said the turning point is changing our perspective. Let's see, that's when things change. When, when God speaks back into us, when we speak to God and God speaks into us, conversation kind of ends. And so after God gets honest with her backache, her backache gets a, a little bit more perplexed. Yo, backache is just kind of, you know, it's a little bold. If you get the chance to read this book during the week and meditate on it, because her backache actually that's some foolish stuff, but, 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 but like I said, he says it out of disillusionment, right? He says it out of disillusionment, out of disrespect. But look at what he says in verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained him as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established him for a proof. Here's what we can learn from Habakkuk. We can learn this. Even though he's perplexed by the description of some of God's ways, he's fully confident in the disposition of God's heart. Look at what he says. He confidently says, we will not die. How do you know that? You Vermont. You're Vermont. Right, New York is coming. You, you're going to die, right? And, and, and history tells us that Babylon was one of the most ruthless nations in history. Right? When Babylon would conquer land, they would, they would parade around town with the king's heads on the poles. Babylon was ruthless. You're not going to stop Babylon? Israel? But how does he say we will not die? How, how, how does he stand up and say, listen, I don't know what's going on, I don't know what's going on. How, how does the back and say, yo, listen, I, I, listen, I know Babylon is coming, Lord, okay, I can't change your mind, got it, but, 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 but we won't die. How? The answer is in verse 12. Because he has a rock. Israel has a rock. Do you know that despite all of your life, life's disappointments, today you too can have a rock. Do, do, do you know that you can have a rock too, family? Rich family. 
The same rock that Habakkuk had is offered to us. See, when Habakkuk calls God his rock, he's saying two things. Two things, and this will be the power behind your change. This will be the way out of your spiritual wrestling. This will be the way to embrace. This is how you get there. First, he's saying, God is my refuge. When he says, God is my rock, he's saying, God is my refuge. And the second thing he's saying is, God is my rescue. So first, God is my refuge. When he calls him rock, he certainly, absolutely had in mind Exodus 33, 19 through 23. 23. In that passage, Moses is about to lead the people of Israel out of uh, the wilderness into the promised land. And God tells Moses, listen, I can't go with y'all. Y'all simple. And I'm holy. And see, those two things don't really go together. So because of that, I, I, I can't go before you. I, I, I can't go with you, God says. Do y'all know today that your biggest threat is the holiness of God? And it's your haters. I'm not afraid of my haters. I'm afraid of God's holiness. Because that's the biggest threat. And, and when Moses says, we... But how will people know that you favor us? How will people know that we're your friends? If you don't go before us. So God says, all right, Mo, all right, Mo, I got you, Mo. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to do for you, Mo. I'm going to make my goodness pass before you. And will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. I love my God this flexes there. My grace and mercy are mine, bro. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there was a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. See, when God proclaims his name before Moses, do you know what he says? He says his name is Yahweh. Yahweh. Yahweh in the Hebrew is a verb. It means to be. Let me just break this down for you scientifically. That, 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 this means this. All of our names are nouns. God's name is a verb. You know that, that means? That, you know what that means? God says, I'm so big, I'm so majestic, I'm so comprehensive that there is not a word in the English vocabulary, there is not a phrase that you can give, there is not a single utterance that can come out that can capture the glory of my majesty. I am. I'm always present. I'm right here, right now. I'm eternally in the moment. You don't got to give me information. You don't got to bring me up to speed. I'm here. I am. And you know what that means? That means this. He's not I was, and he's not I will be. He's I am. In life, you know, we need to stop asking God, where are you? Show me, show me where you are. Instead, we need to say, God, help me see you. Yeah, amen. Because when I say, where are you? I'm saying you're not I am. But you said I am. When you ask God, where are you? You're assuming he's not already there. Yeah. Matter of fact, you're assuming he didn't feature there. That's why he's there before you. It's the reason why you ain't, that's the reason why our mess ain't kill us yet. That's the reason why our trifling lives didn't do us in. Because God got there first. 
He, he knew you before you knew you. Man, I gotta move. I can say they all day. I gotta move. But listen. But God places Moses on a rock. Ooh, family. And, and, and he stands on it. And, and, and on that rock, on that rock that Moses is standing on, he's safe in the presence of God. Now, I just said our greatest threat is God's holiness. God just said my greatest threat is your holiness. He said I can't go with you because I'm too holy. And yet he says to Moses, I'm going to place you on a rock. And, and, and then I'm going to hide you. I, I'm going to hide you from my glory. Because on that rock, on that rock you're safe. And, you know, on that rock, hear me, family, you, you can stand in my presence. On that rock, you can know my name. On that rock, you can worship me. On that rock, you can step into the throne of grace. On that rock, we can have intimacy. See, what God is ultimately saying to Moses is on that rock is a refuge. There's a refuge on that rock. And only on that rock can you get into my presence. But I gotta move. The second thing it shows us when God went back and forth God is rock is that God is his rescue. Now, there's a very famous passage, in fact, probably the most famous passage in the Old Testament that Habakkuk certainly learned in his early studies in, in the synagogues was Exodus 17. And that's probably the most famous passage about God being called a rock in Scripture. In Exodus 17, 1 through 7, Israel's wandering through the wilderness, they're in the middle of the desert, they're dying of dehydration, and they start grumbling. They start complaining against the Lord. And here's what the text says. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved from the wilderness of sin by stages. Ooh, I wish I could talk there. Isn't that a funny name for the wilderness? The wilderness of sin. Guess what? You don't get to the wilderness of sin, of sin in one step. You get through it by stages. I got to move, though. I got to move. I got to move. You, you can set a slave free overnight. You, you can liberate their body overnight, but it takes stages to liberate their mind. But I got to move. I can't stay there today. That's a good sermon. Listen, uh, uh, you get to the wilderness of sin by stages, but Israel's in the wilderness of sin, right? According to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim, but, but, but there was no water for the people to drink. But that's the problem. You're in the desert. You know, dehydration happens in minutes in the desert. You, you, you're in the desert. That's the problem. You got no water, right? Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Well, why do you test the Lord? Well, so when we quarrel with our leaders, we're actually testing the rest of the servant. Okay? <laughs> but the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They're ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the nail and go. Behold, I will stand before you on the rock and hold, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massa, which means testing, and Meribah, which means quarreling. Because, the, uh, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us? Family, in this passage, we see the people of God dying of thirst. They're blaming God for their situation, much like we often do. They're questioning God's appointed leaders, much like we often do. 
And they believe that God has made a mistake. If we're honest, really when we're complaining, we're really saying, God, I could be myself from you. And the word translated quarreling in English doesn't do justice to the Hebrew. You know what the Hebrew says? The Hebrew says, the word quarrel means to lodge a complaint. It's actually a legal term. It's a term that you would use in a court of law. This is why God tells Moses to, what, gather the elders. Well, why does he need the elders and go stand before the rock and roll? What, what, what do the elders have to do with it? God is a civil in court. You know what he's saying? My people are taking me to court. I'm on trial. Do you know that when we complain against the Lord, when we grumble against the Lord, when we grumble against God's appointed leaders of us, when we are more willing to complain than to contribute, do you know what ultimately we're doing? We're assembling court. And we're taking God to trial for the job of doing God. Amen. God says, I am going to go to trial. And my people are going to stand in judgment against me. But then something utterly amazing happens. Something amazing happens. Because God tells Moses that he will go and stand on the rock at Mount Horeb. And then he tells Moses to do the unthinkable. What does he do? Strike it. I'm going to stand on the rock, says God. And then he says to Moses, take the staff, the rod of my justice, the rod that turned the waters of the Nile into blood. The rod that destroyed the most powerful nation at that time, Egypt. Take that rod and hit the rock with it. And when you hit the rock with that rod, water's going to come out. You know what God is really saying? I'm going to stand in the place of my people. I'm going to take your place and my place as the guilty party. I'm going to take the blow of justice they deserve. In other words, God is saying, I'm going to let them put me on trial and execute me. When God stood on the rock and they hit the rock, God is saying, I am going to take the judgment. I am going to take the strike. I am going to take the justice. I am going to take the blow. And they're going to get away. Stop free. See, even though that's good in theory, even though that's good in practice, even though it's a great story, you can't strike an eternal God. Come on, God, we know that. You can't, you can't kill the Lord. How are you gonna kill, who's going to kill the Lord? How, how are you going to strike the Lord? How, how, how can that happen? That's, that's nonsense, isn't it? Unless that infinite God steps into the finite world. Unless that eternal one, that timeless one, actually steps into space and time. Unless that eternal God takes on flesh. And what did he do in Jesus? In Jesus, at the cross, God took the final blow for our sin. In Jesus, at the cross, God was struck for our grumbling. God was struck for our complaining. God took the final blow. And when Jesus died on the cross, a Roman centurion went up to him, family. You see, we got to miss these little details in the story. A Roman centurion went up to him with a spear, and what did he do? Stuck it in his side. And what came out? Water. Living water. Do you know what God was saying? Do, 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 do you know what God is saying to you, Bridge Church? God is saying, I'm your one from a rock. 
I'm the water from the rock. When, when you complain, when you grumble, you don't just, you, you're not just complaining against your leaders, you're not just complaining against life, you're not just complaining against bad people, you're complaining against me. And I came in Jesus and I took the blow. I'm your water from the rock. Stop running the cheap thrills. Stop running the, the, the unhealthy relationship. Stop running, stop looking for water everywhere else. You're in the wilderness of sin and I'm the way out. That's what God is saying. And this is why Jesus, on the last day, in John 7, 37, says this. If anyone thirsts, if anyone thirsts, come to me and drink. Because I'm the water from a rock. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow what? Living water. Rivers of it. See, Jesus not just gives you water in the wilderness. He makes you water in somebody else's wilderness. See, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. And the water ain't just for you, family. The water for every single person God will bring in your life. Yeah. You were called to be an endless fountain of living water. Because you're connected to the endless fountain of living water. You're connected to the water from a rock. You're connected to the great I am. See, the reason why Habakkuk can say, we shall not die, is because Jesus did. Jesus died. And now we can wait patiently on God just like Habakkuk. We can grumble and even be faithful while we wrestle. See, see, some of us wrestle and then we think that we're actually like still wrestling biblically when, when we're just like not tithing or, or we're just like not being generous or we're just like not serving. That's, that's just sin. Okay? That, that's disobedience. God, God actually gives you freedom in his word to wrestle. He doesn't give you freedom to sin. Let's not get too confused. But listen, family. Ultimately, God's response to our spiritual wrestling questions is not a perfect answer, but a perfect person. God doesn't give us a perfect answer. You can ask God, why is there so much evil and suffering in the world as much as you want? And his answer is Jesus. His answer is not a perfect explanation. It's a perfect act of revelation. It's a perfect person to give us perfect love, to bring us home fully and complete. That's perfected sinners. And Jesus is the rock upon which Moses stands. Because Moses is standing on that rock, God's holiness doesn't kill him. Do you know how Jesus resolves the tensions? He resolves all of the tensions. God is so holy that he can't dwell with man, but he's so loving that he wants to. How does he resolve it? Jesus. Moses stands on the rock. Jesus says, I am the rock. Remember that in Matthew 7? I am the rock. Upon what you build your life. Remember? Yeah. Sand and rock? That's my teachings? That's me? Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. He's the rock. He's the reason why a holy God can love some people. And he is also your water from the rock, family. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know where you're, I don't know how you're dry. I don't know how you're dehydrated. I don't know how spiritually you've been wrestling. I don't know how spiritually you've been, you've been feeling deep down. I don't know where you're at. I don't know how religion has worn you out. But I do know this. He is your water from the rock. I do know this. Living water is available today. I do know this. If you just, if you just come to the pure side of Jesus, you can get the way. You can fill your heart on his love today. And you can be, and you can be hydrated to the full. Listen. What we ultimately learn about Habakkuk is this. The book ends the same way it started. For God, he doesn't change. 
As we go through this book, that's what you're going to finish it next week. You know what you're going to find? God in church. Listen, family. I know I'm inviting you to wrestle with God. I know the Bible invites you to wrestle with God. I know Jacob wrestled with God, but guess what? Jacob lost in the morning. <laughs> you, you're, not, you're not, God is still God. He's still going to do what God wants to do because he's God. But, but God doesn't change from chapter 1 to chapter 3, but, but, but Habakkuk does. Habakkuk does not end this book the way he started it. <laughs> Habakkuk doesn't come out the same person he came in. In fact, in, in chapter 1, really, he's a prophet with a problem, but in chapter 3, he's a prophet with a song. That dude went straight Fred Hammond on us. <laughs> that dude is writing poetry. He is going in, and he's singing a worship song. What happened to the complaints? What happened to the questions? What happened to the grumbling? The rock happened. He's, he's still on the rock. Listen, family. The truth about spiritual wrestling is you will never come out of it the same. You won't come out of this series the same way you went in. Because healthy spiritual wrestling always changes you for the better. And, and, and if you're not wrestling with God today, here's what I'll say, and I'm not sure way. You're probably not wrestling with sin either. If you're not wrestling with God today, you're probably not wrestling with sin either. Because it's through wrestling with God that we learn how to die of sin and live for Christ. It's through wrestling with God that Jacob became a lying and even trifling human being and became Israel. Yeah. The father of the 12 tribes. Yeah. Come on now. See, see, it, it's through wrestling with God that our relationship with him becomes living and active. It's, it's through wrestling with God that we ultimately realize this. Jesus is enough. And then we repent for not realizing that sooner. Right? And lastly, it's through wrestling with God that we learn to trust God's heart even when we can't see God's hand. So family, go and wrestle boldly. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a God who invites us to wrestle with you, even though, God, we will not win. I, I, I just can't even imagine why you would let a, 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 a trifling man like myself be able to carry your message and to be able to uh, uh, lead people to, to living water. God, I am nothing, but you are everything. And Jesus, I pray that today your people saw you in a new light. I pray that you not, I, I, I don't pray that you fix their problems. I pray that you fix their perspective. I pray, God, that they can see you today as a majestic and holy one. That they can see you as the exalted and living one. That they can see you as the one who gives them water in any, de in any desert or wilderness that they're in. As the one to run to first when things are dry.